Good morning, Shavuot Tov, good Chodesh. Today's daf is daf Nun Gimel. Today's shir is Le'inu Nishmas. Rivka Bas Yaakov. May her neshama have a liyan. May her be a blessing. Um, so we're going to go from the third last line of Nun Beis Amud Beis, 52b. Um, the Gemara is going into the conditions in the Ksuba that were discussed uh, in the Mishnah higher up on the page. The one was... Ksuba's bin in Dichrin. We discussed this actually the other day, that the value of the Ksuba is divided specifically amongst the male children of that wife. Remember, man could have multiple wives, multiple sons, and generally the standard halach of the Yerusha is that the, that the inheritance is split equally amongst all the sons, and a husband would inherit his wife, and then it, should, it would be split equally amongst all his sons. So there's a clause in the Ksuba that no, her sons from him divide the value of her ksuba independently. The other wife's sons will divide the value of their mother's ksubas independently, and obviously the remaining estate will be split equally amongst all the brothers. Um, the Gomorrah are hi- a little bit higher up on the page addressed, but that seems to be changing the Yerusha to Orisa, and it addressed. There's no, it's, there's a source in the Posuk for it. It's obviously to motivate uh, a, a father to give more and be more inclined to... Uh, give a dowry to his daughter and get his daughter married off. Um, was that the reason given? Um, yeah. Um, a second, um, then we discussed, and this is a little more what we're going into now, is um, the, the clause in the Ksuba that gives the daughter the right um, um, the right to collect Mazonas from the estate. Again, she doesn't get a specific amount she collects a right she has a right to be supported of the state we'll discuss a bit later in today's stuff for how long etc now what troubles the Gomorrah with these things is you're changing the Yerusha a father the Torah tells us and the, and the term used is Iburain Achsanta you're transferring the inheritance the Torah tells us how a Yerusha should go if a father's going to be giving a bigger dowry to his daughter, which causes her sons to inherit it, and, he, and that's taking away from the sons, and that's what the problem we're going to address now in the Gomorrah. But it also, higher up on the page, uh, struggled with this idea of even the males, um, the, da- the daughters getting sustenance, specifically the male sons, sorry, the, the, this concept of uh, the daughters inheriting. But let's go straight into the Gemara. We're going to bring a story with Rav Papa and a concern that another sage had with uh, what Rav Papa was up to. So Rav Papa is Asa Klele Brei, Bay Abasuria. Rav Papa was arranging for his son to marry into the family of Abasurai. Now remember, Rav Papa wants to try to secure for his son a large dowry, I that Abasuria promises a lot, and they'll obviously record in the Ksuba, to his daughter. So Azal Ksuba, he went to the to he went to Rav Papa went to Abasuria to finalize the Ksuba. Shoma Yehudabam Meiranofek Azakuzale. Rav Yehudabam Yehudabam heard that Rav Papa was coming, so he went to greet him and he walked with him. Kimotel Pischa, but when they arrived at Abasuria's house, have a Komiftamine, he wanted to um, take leave. So Amalei No Mabahadei. Rav Papa said, you know, why don't you come in with me? We're going to have an interesting discussion, a good uh, imagine a good family debate uh, how to resolve certain uh, financial issues and set up the Ksuba. Come. Uh, come in. So he says, Rav Papa saw that he didn't want to. As we're going to see, his, herita- his hesitance was to be involved with uh, 
He knew that his, pre- we'll see, it will come apparent from the story, but he knew his presence might uh, put pressure on Abasuria to make a high exuber. If the Choshuv Bar, Yehuda Bar Meremar was there, he wouldn't want to seem stingy, he wouldn't want to seem uh, uncaring, etc. So he might be more generous. So Yehuda Bar Meremar didn't want to go in. So Amalei, might I take Mishum to Amalei, Shmuel, Rav Yehuda, Shinan, Aloiti, Havi, Bavurei, Santa. Afilu may bara bishela bara tuva delo yadina my zara nafek minay says so Rav Papa said to him what's your concern that Shmuel said to Rav Yehuda sharp one that's what Shmuel referred to his uh, very uh, brilliant Talmud Shinana says loyte don't be involved when they transferring inheritance bavurak santa even when it's from an evil son to a good son because you don't know whose descendants are going to turn out better. But Kolsha can be Barta, and how much more so then you shouldn't be involved when a father's distributing Yerusha instead of giving it to the sons, he's giving it to the daughters, which at the moment the assumption is that that's what this that's what he's doing. If you write a higher dowry and he gives more in the Ksuba to his daughter, it's going to go to his daughter instead of his sons. So that seems to be transferring, and he says, is your concern that you don't want to be involved in this? Because Rabbi Yudah says, you shouldn't be around at Abura Santa. I'll come back to that point. But that's what he says. No, he. This that a father should give a good dowry is actually a takon Rabbanon. As we saw, it was the Gomorrah straight after the mission in yesterday's daf that Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, okay, and there he said, uh, how can we transfer? So he says, it's, it's, um, he brings a pasuk to say that the Torah is happy for there to be a large dowry. So this, that, so okay, I understand you might have concerns about being in a scenario, in a deal, in a case where there's going to be a transferal of inheritance away from who, you do, who the Torah says it should go to. But this is also in line with the Takana Durabonin and uh, supported by a Pasuk. So, So, Mareimar says, you know, Yehuda Ba Mareimar said, that's all very well where he, the father chooses to give it, but to make him give a larger dowry? We don't see that's appropriate. So, says, when I wanted you to come in, did I say, come in and make him give a large dowry? I said, just come in with me. Watch the proceedings. I'm not asking you to be actively involved in pressurizing him into a larger dowry. So, says, you know, me going in will we'll put pressure on him. As I explained earlier, he's going to say, ah, there's a schosh of rava, I better see more generous or whatever, or if he's supporting this kasuba and this dowry, I must be more generous. You know, so his, his just being there is placing pressure. So, ah, they were all, however, our papa managed to persuade him and he came in with him. Ishtik for Yosef, he was sitting there silently, thinking like trying to be uninvolved, you know, Yehuda Ba Merema was just sitting there, maybe with a scowl on his face. So, Sovar, Rotach. Abba Surah thought that he was angry. Why has he got that skull on his face uninvolved? Now we know he was angry because he didn't want to be involved in this procedure which would put pressure on, on Abba Surah. But Abba Surah saw that he was looking disfavorable and sitting there silently, so he thought he was unimpressed with what he was offering. So he wrote out everything, ended up giving every spare cent that he had into this dowry. And he was still silent. So he said to him, he says, what do you want me to give? I don't have, if I, 
Sorry. You're still not talking. Why aren't you appeased with what I've done? So, He says, if I carry on, I won't have anything left for myself. I've given every spare cent I have into this dowry. So, so Yehuda responded, what if it was up to me? I'm not even impressed with how much you've given so far. I'm not even impressed. That I, didn't, I wouldn't even expected you to give as much as you've given so far. Says, Says, what you're saying, I shouldn't have given it. Well, then let me retract. Says, no. I'm not saying that you should become someone who retracts on his words. I worse than uh, that you've put your financial status on the line, and I wouldn't have advised that. Even worse would be to know that someone who retracts your word. And Tosos point out, obviously the Ksuba hasn't been finalized yet, either because the Ksuba only kicks in either at a Rusin or Nisuyen, because if the Ksuba had been finalized, obviously he could not retract. Um, and uh, secondly, so, so it must be where the Ksuba hasn't been finalized, but still, he's written it down, he said what he's prepared to give, you should not go back on your word. We expect people to be like diamond dealers. You know, they say, they agree to a contract with their words. It's uh, binding. Not, uh, you know, just you don't uh, retract unnecessarily. Um, so very interestingly, so we see that, I mean, I, I was thinking, like sometimes we see that he didn't, he didn't want to be involved. didn't, Yehuda Bar Mareymar didn't want to be involved because he knew his presence would put pressure on uh, Abbasuria. He obviously couldn't just argue with Rav Popper and like blatantly get involved. So he decided, in my mind, what he's doing, he's sitting in the corner passively but looking very unimpressed with what's going on. And that uh, Abbasuria misunderstood, thought he was unimpressed with what he was offering as the dowry, you know, for your daughter to make a much more glorious, impressive dowry. And he increased and increased until he uh, realized, wait, he's... Uh, he's uh, He's, yeah, he's given every spare cent, and if he gives any more, then he won't be able to support himself, look after himself. So, uh, as I was just thinking, sometimes you see, like, being quiet is, uh, and being passive is actively wrong. Because <laughs> here, his passivity and just sitting there silently <coughs> caused him to give away more. He should have been along the lines of, you know, if he would have been more engaged and more open. He says, look, uh, again, he couldn't go against Rav Popper, but subtly said, uh, let's give a nice dowry, let's uh, not extend ourselves too much, and we'll meet, meet a, uh, what's it, an amicable agreement. You know, something like that. If he would have said it, he might have been uh, more effective. I was just wondering about that. Now, this concept of Ivureach Santa, passing inheritance, is very interesting. Because the Gomorrah says, what's the concern with transferring an inheritance, Ivurach Santa, says that we don't know what's even from a good son to his bad son. So his one son's a Talmud Chochem and his other son's uh, uh, not the best of people. So he still shouldn't transfer the Ksuba, the, the Yerusha and say, I don't want my inheritance to go to that son of mine, I want it to go to my other son who's a Talmud Chochem, who's a good person. So he still shouldn't do that. Now what's the reason, what would the reason we expect? Because the Torah tells you the Yerusha goes equally to all your sons. So it should be also to transfer it. Nevertheless, says no, because you don't know how their children are going to come out. So it's all very well to give your pious son a good Yerusha. All his sons are going to grow up uh, off the derech. And the Russian sons, you know, they, or the not so good sons, you know, they might grow up to be wonderful people. So don't play with Yerusha. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, but again, not that it's also, which creates a very interesting thing because. On the one hand, we see 
Shmuel bar, uh, Shmuel telling Rav Yehuda, don't get involved in Rav Yehuda Santa. It's not a good practice when people are moving an inheritance from where the Torah says it should go to someone else. On the other hand, it seems here that it's not Osir. So when would it be Osir and when would it be permitted? And not only that, it's almost like nowadays, it's almost encouraged to split your Yerusha amongst your sons and daughters. Have you ever heard uh, the Rav or anyone give a drosha, you know, uh, don't put your daughters in your will? Never. Uh, that's it's where it's... So, so you have to go into whether Avurach Santa would be a negative or a critical thing, or where it's actually a positive uh, transfer of, of wealth. Um, interesting enough, also I found fascinating the dowry. I mean, this could be 40, who knows how many years, uh, many, many years before the father actually dies, and it still says giving this girl a large dowry is taking the inheritance. Are you telling me every gift or donation I give now, I'm stealing inheritance from my children? We also never see that as a concept. So maybe that's a good reason. Maybe that's why by the dowry we never view it as Abu Santa. That's what Shabbat was telling him. Look, it's a, to have a good dowry is a takonta, and it's not really Avur, it's a takonta de Rabbonin, and it's long before. But at what point does you know, giving away your property count as Abu Santa? I mean, we discussed this last week, you're not allowed to give more than a 20% of your wealth um, away for charity. One of the exceptions that the Chofetz Chaim brings in his Sefer Avat Chesed is when a person's dying. Obviously, you, it's, you leave a nice Yerusha for your children, but you can give far more than 20% at death. While alive, you shouldn't, as we saw in the Dafnun Aleph, but when you die, then you can give a lot more. So again, isn't that Ibur isn't Santa? If you're going to donate uh, half your money or a significant chunk of your money to the school, or to the shul, or to uh, the chev, or you know, to some institution, or some or a person, that isn't that Abu Santa. So it's very interesting. Heard a few different shirim and a different approaches to it, um, but that's uh, something to look into. Again, when is it osur to change the yerusha? Say, I wanted to go to my daughters as well as my sons. Would that be osur? When is it not a good thing? And when do we actually say? Sometimes we seem to view it as a positive thing. So we have those three things that need to be clarified regarding transferal of. Yerusha. Okay, let's carry on in the Gemara. Yeah. Can I say that you uh, got to divide it equally amongst your sons? Yeah. Uh, they don't talk about the firstborn. Oh, so, so I think we're uh, we're kind of keeping it simple because those hello, that's this is not the primary uh, topic of discussion, the Yerusha. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. And the firstborn would get a double and thing. Yeah. Nowadays, I don't think I don't think most parents also when they're writing out their wills, they don't take that oh. clause into account. Um, interesting, yeah. yeah As we discussed, it's not, fair, it's not fair that he gets a double portion, yeah. When a wife sells her ksuba to her husband, does she get this ksuba's bin indichrin or does she not get this ksuba's bin indichrin? Again, ksuba's bin indichrin is her male son's, this, that, this. Her male, the clause in the ksuba that her sons inherit the ksuba. So what happened here? For whatever reason, as we can see, she needed money. So she sells the ksuba to her husband. Okay, an interesting scenario. Obviously not the most... Uh, obviously the, they have a complex financial relationship. Hope, hoping the wedding's a good, uh, a good relationship, but at least here they have a complex financial relationship. She's feeling a uh, financial strain. So she sells her ksuba to her husband. Now, in its own right, that's questionable because as we've seen earlier on in the Masechta, they're not allowed to be together if they don't have a ksuba. 
That's part of the Takona Rabbon, and even if he writes to his wife, you know, we don't have a ksuba. But either way, ignoring that, she sells her ksuba to her husband. Now, obviously, we got, the question is going to be um, based on, so does that include all the rights in the ksuba? So now her sons have no claim on the initial dowry, or maybe she's selling the bare minimum that she can get away with selling, I just the value of the ksuba, but not the conditions that don't really, like the ksuba has been in Dichrin and been in Nukvin, etc. So that's his, um, so yesh lo ksuba has been in Dichrin, and ksuba has been in Dichrin. So amalei rova viti boilach moichlos. Why are you asking if she sells the ksuba? Why don't we ask a nicer scenario of where she waives her ksuba? She says, I'm, you know, things are going well, I'm happy with you, you've looked after me so well, I waive the responsibility of you to pay out my ksuba on at the case of, in the case of death or divorce. So Omalei, so uh, Rav Yemar Saba explained why he asked it as for, uh, like saying, says, Omalei, hashta mochar is coming by I'm specifically asking a sale. Atal gav zuzi anusa. When it's a sale, we're saying that she was, fun, it was the money that was forcing her. She was financially pressurized. Domrinan, come on, de ko machvilomea We say the financial pressure is like being lashed a hundred times with this, it's a, a harsh type of whip with a weight at the end. So that's what financial. So when she sells her ksuba to her husband, she's doing it under duress. She feels, not, not that he's holding under duress, but she's feeling the financial strain. And that we know is like someone beating someone up, the financial pressure. It says, So if we know the halacha regarding where she's selling it under duress, if you would tell me that she still keeps um, that that she, that it's completely sold, well then obviously if the, if she waives her ksuba, sorry, other way around. Um, now I'm specifically asking a sale because I don't need to ask about where she waives her ksuba because where she waives her ksuba, she's doing it happily. So if she's if she would lose the rights of being in Zichrin, this, these clauses in her ksuba when she sells it, when she gives it away happily, sorry, if she, if she retains these rights, sorry, I'm saying it backwards, if she retains these rights when she does it happily with, by waiving it, where there's no duress, so she's doing it good-heartedly, then when she sells it, which is under duress, obviously she's going to hold on to those rights. She's just selling the 200 or the dowry or something like that. So, um, so, so that's the that's the question again. If she sells her ksuba, do we say she's just selling the monetary value, or is she selling, or or do we basically tear up the ksuba and there aren't these conditions in it as well? So, Amar Rabbi Pshutali, Moichus Ksuba Salacherim, Yeish Lo Ksuba Spinin Dichrin. It's obvious to me that if she sells her ksuba to a different person, she retains the right to ksuba Spinin Dichrin. Either dowry will be inherited by specifically by her sons. My time is Zuzan Suya. The reason is because she was forced by money. I, even though she was prepared to disregard her ksuba. Again, this is the ksuba. When she sells her ksuba, she has nothing to collect in the case of death or divorce. But that's what she's selling. She's not going to disadvantage her children. But that's what we can say. If she waves her ksuba to her husband, she does not have the claim of being in My timer, She's waving it to him. She's happy with it. She's doing it wholeheartedly. She's choosing. She's in love with him. She's choosing to do it wholeheartedly. So she's, she's, setting her, she's happy to wave the whole ksuba in that scenario. Um... Then he says, Boy Rava, but what is the question? 
when she sells it to her husband. Do when she sells her exhibit to her husband, do we say it as, as if she sold it to someone else? And therefore she's retaining the rights in the Ksuba, just not the money that she gets to collect? Or do we say that she's waving it to her husband? Basar Dibai had a pashta. After Rava asked this question, he answered as follows. When she sells the ksuba to her husband, it's like she sells it to someone else. And she's only going to sell her ksuba. Again, she's selling the ksuba to her husband. In class, she's not, she's not motivated by love or care and goodwill. She's motivated by force. And therefore, obviously, she's going to be selling as little as possible. So that's just the amounts, but not the rights. In the Ksuba, I like the dowry that he has from her. So granted, she won't be able to get the dowry back in the case of death or divorce. But the, the dowry should be still split amongst her sons, etc. Master of Bar-Avin, Mar'idi Bar-Avin challenges us. Now this challenge is based on a Mishnah in Yavamos. Remember, if a woman remarries based on the testimony of one witness, and we discussed that in Yavamos. Really, she should need two witnesses that her husband's dead or something, but she's marrying based on the testimony of one witness. If her husband, her original husband, rocks up, she suffers a whole lot of penalties. Now, one of the penalties brought is she loses the ksuba from both husbands. And then we're going to see it seems to repeat itself. So that's what this question is going to be based on. It says, Mesa and Yorshin shall zeva and Yorshin shall yeah, sorry. So it starts off, the Mishnah started off by listing a whole lot of penalties that she suffers if her first husband turns up. Remember, because we are placing part of the responsibility for her to investigate carefully and make sure that her husband's not alive. So if she does that, and then her husband rocks up, she doesn't collect her ksuba. And then it says, if she does, the yorshim of the one husband and the yorshim of the husband don't get her ksuba. Why are you mentioning ksuba a second time? You already mentioned earlier in the Mishnah she doesn't get her ksuba. And now you're telling that they don't inherit her ksuba. It seems repetitive. So for has been indifferent. Rapopa says, no, we're referring to ksuba has been indifferent. Her sons that she had from either husband do not inherit the dowry of her ksuba. Now, here we should also say she got remarried under duress. Again, a woman doesn't want to remain alone. So she's, when she's a little bit careless in her research into whether her husband actually died, it's not that she's choosing to. She was under pressure. She doesn't want to remain single her whole life. So he says, You're right. Strictly speaking, it would be considered forced, and therefore they should not use the exubas bin indichrin. But here it's a penalty that the rabbis placed on her. Again, remember we said they placed a whole lot of penalties on her to make sure that she doesn't treat it lightly, this remarry, remarrying based on one witness. Okay, Yosef Ravin Bar says that Yosef Ravin Bar Chanina came to Rav Chizda v'Yosef v'Kamar. Ravin Bar Chanina sat before Rav Chizda v'Yosef v'Kamar, and then he, he sat and he said, Mishmei the Rebbe Lazar, in the name of Rebbe Lazar. Mochlas ksubasa bala. If a woman waves her ksuba to her husband, she has no right to mezonos. Now, obviously, we're not just speaking to the support and provisions while they're married. That she obviously has a right to. That seems to, that's over and above the ksuba. But we're speaking about the mezonos that she gets after the death of her husband. We know part of the ksuba is that not only she can get supported by her husband's estate, or her late husband's estate, 
until she gets paid out her ksuba, until she accepts her ksuba. So, if not for the fact that you said this halacha in the name of a great, very great rabbi, I would have actually said to you, someone who pays back bad in the place of good will never see bad will never cease from his house. I hear this woman, we're saying that what? She waves her ksuba to her husband so that he doesn't have to pay out the value of the ksuba in the case of death of divorce. And now you're telling me that she also loses the clause in it that she gets supported by the estate after his death. That's the husband paying back a good she did with bad, which is very negative. So he says, look, if not for the fact that it was Rebbe Lezer, who's very, very great, I would have Answered as like I just said, Yosef Rav Nachman Vuula Vavimi Barav Popi the Yosef Rav Chia Baravimi Gavai. So we have these sages sitting around together. Asa who covered the Shivaru Soso and a man whose Arusa had died, so they had only done the first stage of marriage. Now Arusin and then his wife died. Now Omri they said to him. So he wanted to know, is he responsible for the burial? We know one of the conditions of the ksuba, we've seen this a few times, is that she, um, he gets, um, what does he get? He inherits the dowry, but he has the responsibility to bury her. So this arusa, what's the halacha in the case of this arusa? Omer le zil kofor, i hav le ksubosos. is omer lehu ravchia tenina... Rav Chia said, we already learned in the Mishnah, A woman who is an Arusa, who dies as an Arusa, he does not become an Oinen for her, and, he's, and if he's a Kohen, he's not allowed to become Tomei for her. I, these are halachas that only kick in from Nisuyim. And so too, she doesn't become an Oinen, and she doesn't become Tomei for him. Rashi just points out, when's a woman not allowed to become Tomei? Even if she's the daughter of the Kohen God or the daughter of a Kohen. So she's a Bath Kohen. She's, she doesn't, there's no issue for her to become Tomei. It's only on her husband. So Rashi says, um, there's a mitzvah for a wife to become Tomei and involved in her husband's um, burial. There's a mitzvah for close family to yes, uh, be involved in the burial. This woman, since it's that mitzvah isn't placed on her yet. Um, so so that it says, Mesa, what happens if she does? Eino Yorsho, he does not inherit her. Uh, he does not get the dowry. Meshu, goiver ksuboso. If he dies, she collects her ksuba. Uh, she collects the one or two hundred. Now, time at the meshu, ho mesa he, eino ksuboso. We see that the reason is specifically because he died. But if she died, she does not have ksuba, her ksuba. Now, the, uh, if I understood it correctly, what we're saying is, what do we mean um, if she dies? We, we're emphasizing that where he dies, so she gets a 100 or 200. However, if he dies, there's no ksuba. What do you mean, how does that affect... Um, sorry, sorry, other way around. Um, if he dies, there's a ksuba, but if she dies, there's no ksuba. What do you mean if she dies, there's no ksuba? That's telling us, no, this clause that he gets to inherit the dowry and she gets to be buried, there is no that aspect of the ksuba. So that's what he's saying. So, uh, so back to our original question, a man's arusosa died, is he responsible to pay for the burial? No. It says, my timer, and what's the source for this? What's the reason? So, Amar Abu Shaya, she'en ani koire bolekeshe 
Because I can't apply this clause in the Ksuba that says, when I get married to someone else, you take what is, I will take what is written to me. Again, this is the clause in the Ksuba that's saying she gets sustained by the Ksuba until, um, um, until she gets remarried, then she has to stop being sustained by the estate and collect the value of her Ksuba. But now, the, yeah, but obviously this, so what are we saying? The real time that these things of the Ksuba kick in is at Nisuyin. When she could theoretically marry someone else. If she dies before then, then she could not marry someone else. Um, I was thinking, but wait, this doesn't make any sense. Because most, um, half of the, well, I don't know, half the time, but what do you mean the Ksuba only kicks in when she could marry someone else? I, if she dies first, the Ksuba doesn't kick in. Isn't that most of what we discuss is he inherits the Ksuba when she dies? So, so what the explanation has to be, this is, this is how I understood it, um, the explanation has to be no. Again, we're discussing this clause of the, the Ksuba. Remember, most of the conditions in the Ksuba of he either is responsible for something and exchange he gets X. Or we want to... Or uh, we want to make it a deal like um, he's responsible to support her, therefore he has a right to her income. And um, here, so the nadunya, what's in place? So, so you've got to look at each of those and see when it kicks in, when it takes effect. This that he gets the right, that he's responsible to bury her, is in exchange for inheriting the dowry. As we learnt above, the nadunya, the dowry, is only transferred upon kiddushin. So he hasn't received anything from the ksuba. He hasn't received any part of the dowry. And now as an arusa, she's died. So he hasn't, the ksuba hasn't kicked in. He hasn't received it. So therefore he won't be responsible to bury her. But once they do nisuyin, then he's automatically, the dowry has been transferred to him. And he will, he will inherit it. So now he's responsible to bury her. Okay. arusa when he said same thing, you know, an Arusu dies, she doesn't have the Ksuba, I, she doesn't get buried. Omulu Abaya, Zilu Omulei, Shakila Tivusaif, and Shadia Achizrei. He says, go and tell him he can take this uh, favor and throw it to the thorns. He can chuck it out. I, uh, Ravin thinks he's coming and teaching us such a good uh, new novel, Halacha. says, Kvar Targumon Ravoshia Lishmaisa Babel. Ravoshia has already explained this teaching in Babel. Seems to me a little bit, I mean, obviously it's deeper than that, but it seems a little bit of uh, the competitor spirit between the yeshiva of Babel and the yeshivas in Eretz Israel. Ravin comes from Eretz Israel, says, Guys, I've got something important and brilliant to explain to you. And they tell us, We've already worked it out in Babel. It's a little bit of, uh, that, that seems to be what he's saying. Okay, let's go on to the next. This is the next, another clause the Mishnah discussed in the Ksuba, is that any female children I have from you will be sustained from the, from the estate. And the language of the Mishnah was, um, they, yeah, it says, They can live in my house and be supported from my assets, from my estate, until they are taken to men, I until they married. So that's the clause. Now we're going to discuss how long can this extend for. So Rav Tani ad the tilkin leguvrin, Belevi Tani ad the tiv the tiv garan. Rav says it's until they get married, and Levi says it's until they 
become bogeres adults. Remember, twelve and a half is when a woman becomes an adult. Says Lerav Afalgav the Boga Belevi Afalgav the Nisim. Says this is inconceivable. You telling me? You telling me? According to Rav, that even once she becomes an adult, but she hasn't been married, she gets sustained from the Ksuba. And according to Levi, even if she gets married, prop Nisuim, and but she's still under twelve and a half. She gets a sorry, it's just supported by the estate. Both of those are inconceivable. Rav, firstly, again, a father whose daughter is an adult, he would not have to support her. So again, so even if this girl is not married by 12 and a half, the father wouldn't have to support her. So now you're going to tell me his state has to support her. That can't be. And simply the other way around. Once she gets married, the father has no more responsibility to support her. It's on her husband. So you're going to tell me that Levi holds no, even if she's married, but she gets supported from, or extra support from the estate until uh, she becomes an adult. That's inconceivable. So he says, no, Ella, no, no one's arguing a case where she becomes an adult, even if she hasn't married, or she gets married, even if she's not yet a, um, an adult. Well, the case, obviously, she doesn't collect sustenance from the estate anymore. Kipligi. The Machloikes is with a girl who's done a Rusin but is not yet an adult. And actually, this is how Levi taught in his Brisa. At the Tibgaran, until she becomes an adult, the Yamtis Mehon, the Inzvun, and the time comes for them to do Nisuin. says, Tarti, do you need both conditions? He says, No, Ella, Oitabagran, or Yamtis Manem le Inzvun. We see Levi must be saying either until she becomes an adult. Or until she, the time for for nisuin has arrived. And Ketanai, this is actually a machlokes tanaim. I does a, so. Yeah, sorry, to just go back a step. Rav explains. We go after when she's taken in marriage. She learns taken as ki kach ish ish as erusin. As soon as she's done erusin, the state no longer has to support this girl. Levi says no. If she's done erusin, she's still under the. She's still. Uh, supported by the estate until she becomes an adult or until 12 months have passed and she has supposed to have got done Nisuin by now. So it's Ketanai, and this is actually a Machloikas Tanaim. Ad Mosai Abbas Nizoinus. For how long? Until when is the daughter supported? Until she does a Rusin. Mishum Rebi Lezer Omri, in the name of Rebi Lezer, says, Ad Shetivgar, until she becomes an adult. So again, um, just having done a rusin, according to Rabbi Elazar, is not enough to free the estate from the responsibility to support her. Tony Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef taught regarding um, this that daughters are supported ad until they become married. Remember, we've mentioned this a few times. The language of havaya havyatihiye. Always means getting married. Says Is this referring to doing a rusin or specifically nisuyin? Taiku, he left it unresolved. I, Rav Yosef, regarding this price, Rav Yosef says, I'm not clear um, whether the price, what stage of marriage the price means. Rav Yosef, so Rav Chizda said to Rav Yosef, Did you hear from Rav Yehuda? The Godolador of the previous generation. I have a clear tradition from him. Did you learn from him whether or not an Irusa is supported by her father's estate or not? I does she go back to her husband. So Omarle, now we're going to see two logical reasons why to say one way or the other. So Omarle, Mishmael Ishmaeli, Elamistavra Laisley. Why? He says not. He never taught me explicitly. But from logic I would say 
Kivain de Irsa, sorry, Laislay, she does not get supported by the estate. Why? Kivain de Irsa, because now that she's his wife, he doesn't want her to be degraded. Oh, what's one of the main reasons we want the daughters to be supported from the estate? Is that they don't have to degrade themselves, go around begging or, you know, and f- fall into other traps of young girls who don't have any uh, financial support. So that's the main motivation that we have this clause in the Ksuba that the single girls are supported from the state. And remember, we can go back to how we started the shoe. It's a very novel idea, this, because we're taking from what belongs to the sons. The estate in Yerusha falls to the sons, and we say, no, nah, sons, you have to set aside, you have to make sure that you're supporting your sisters. So, so it's a big deal. So, but again, it's important because we don't want her to be degraded. Well, he says, well, now that she's got a husband, again, granted it's only a Russian and they're not living together, it's his wife. Remember, for 90% of uh, reasons, a Russian is considered married. So he's not going to want his wife to go around begging, etc. So he'll make sure she's taken care of. So we now don't have to place that responsibility on the state anymore. So that's what he says. From logic, I think she should not. He says, If you didn't learn it as a clear teaching, I'm going to argue on your logic. He says, I think from logic she should get. Why? Since he's not certain that he will marry her, he's not going to disperse his money for nothing. The husband's not going to support her. I'll explain it soon. Um, yeah, he's not going to support her for nothing. Because remember, we've actually touched on this. We said one of the things with Ayrusin, there's always the weakness that when he actually is with her, when they do Nisuyin, he's going to find some blemish that wasn't picked up. Because he's never, he's never spent a lot of time with her, he's never been intimate with her, so he might actually decide not to be married. So there's always that in the back of the mind. Oh, they've done a Rusin. Their weddings, they've done a Rusin. They're man and wife. But their wedding is set for six months later, a year later, whatever it is. There's always that in the back of his mind that we might have to cancel it, call it off. So because of that, he's not going to spend money to support her. So he thinks that still the daughter should be supported. Okay, so we have Swaras either way. We don't have a clear tradition from what Rav Yehuda says, but we have a logical reason to say why she should be supported. Because again, her husband's not going to support her because he might not go through with the marriage in the end, which might be retroactively cancelled. On the other hand, she now has someone to look after her, so why would we place the burden on the estate? Why should it be her brother's problem? We're now just going to see Ikata Omri and say the other way around, that the different people said the other way around. Ikata Omri, some had the following version. I didn't hear directly from Rabbi Yudah. says, Mistavra Isle, but I think it's logical that she should get Mazoinus from the estate. Why? Since she's not. The husband's not certain he's going to marry her. He's not going to pay for her support. Omar Leh said to him, oh, If you never heard a direct um, tradition, I think logical. She should not be supported by her sons. Why? Given the Since they have done a Rusin, since they're man and wife, he's not going to want her to be degraded, so he'll support her, and we don't have to place the burden on the estate. Okay, let's go on to the next piece. Siman de Gavri Shaf Zoraf. Okay, this is a way to remember the next five teachings. So the say the way to remember the name of the sages, it's just interesting to remember, it's all oral. That's why we find these uh, these simanim, these are acronyms, uh, mnemonics, etc., ways to remember it. So the Sak Zaraf, we'll see, is the name of the five sages who address the issue. And the case and the cases are 
are Miana, Mion, Yavama, Shnia, secondary arise, Arusa, Vanusa. A girl is only done Arusin, and a girl who was right. So let's go through this five questions. So boy, me name Rav Sheishes. They ask Rav Sheishes. Mema'enes yeishlo mazonos or eno mazonos. Does Mema'enes, a girl who's done Mion, get supported from the state or not? From the estate or not? What's the question? Remember, the Oraisa, only a father can marry off his daughter. Drabonan, a mother or brother can marry her off. However, she has the right to do Mion, opt out the marriage, and we generally say it's as if they were never married. Now, as we just saw higher up this page, if a woman, a young girl, does Nisuyin, she stops getting supported by her father's estate. What happens if the Nisuyin was done by her brother? So now she's only rabbinically married, and then she does Mion. On the one hand, retroactively, it's as if they were never married. So she should be allowed back to her father's, she should be allowed to now draw sustenance from her father's estate. On the other hand, she has left her father's estate for a few months or a few years while she was, well, retroactive not, but while she was married to this man. It says, Omal Hu Rav Sheshes, Tini Tu Rav Sheshes says, it's actually from a price. He says, Almona Beveis Ovia, Vagrusha Beveis Ovia, Vashomeres Yovon Beveis Ovia, Yeish Lomazonos. If you have a widow staying in her father's house, what does it mean staying in her father's house? From a Rusin and a Grusha, a woman who was divorced, but she's only from a Rusin, or she fell to Yibum from a Rusin, they do have Mazonos. I, all these girls, okay, not that, not that they've done Nisuin, they've only done a Rusin, they still get Mazonos. Rebbe, I, again, you had this girl who got, who was being supported by her father's estate, her brothers were paying out the Hirusha to support her, she did a Rusin, and then her husband died or divorced her, or died or divorced her, and she fell in Yibum. Since she's only done a Rusin, she's still considered part of her father's house and gets sustenance from the estate. Rabbi Yehuda Aimer, If she's still in her father's house, she gets Mazonas. If she's not in her father's house, she does not get Mazonas. Now, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda seems to be saying the same thing. Remember, an Arusa still lives in her father's home. So we said if she's a Almona, Grusha, or Shomeris Yovon in her father's house, she gets Mazonis. Rebuta says if she's still in her father's house, she gets Mazonis. They're saying the exact same thing. The difference is regarding Mama'enes. The Tanakama Sovar Isla, the Tanakama holds she does get it. The Rebuta Sovar Leisla, and Rebuta holds she does not get um she does not get it. I, the, the emphasis on the Machloikes is, is she still in her father's house? I, this girl who did a Rusin and then her husband divorced her or died or left her to Yibum, she's still in her father's house. She's never left it. But this girl is done Mun. Remember, she moved in with her husband. They live as 100% man and wife. And then a month or a year or however long later, she says, you know what, I'm Mun, I'm opting out. But she had left her father. So that's the emphasis. That's the one question. Um, let's do one more question. So he says, Boy Reish Lokish. He asked Reish Lokish. So, so that was the, yeah, remember, as I said, there are five questions. That was the first one. Again, regarding Mion, does that take her out of her father's house, or can she, after doing Mion, back to claiming support from the estate? Um, now we're going to ask Reish Lokish a question. Now, this is just to remember um, when a woman does Yibum, the claim of her ksuba is from the estate of her first husband. Okay? When a woman does yibum, the claim of her ksuba is not from her, the husband's brother. It's from her first husband's estate. Now, 
if, important to note, if there is no estate, Chazal placed the responsibility of the Ksuba on the second husband, her, her first husband's brother. So generally, her, her claim for Ksuba goes is not on her current husband, it's on her first husband's estate. However, if there's no Ksuba, Chazal said that she has to. Again, one of the reasons is because um, we don't want it to be cheap for him to divorce her. Now, this that the daughters get a claim to sustenance. That's one of the conditions of the ksuba. However, that the, the mother's ksuba is not on her father's estate. Because remember, when does a woman fall in Yibum? She doesn't have any children. She doesn't have any children. She then goes and marries this man and she has a daughter. Now, the daughter's right to sustenance, strictly speaking, is on the ksuba from the first husband. But it's not her father. So is it moved to her? Her father, her actual father. How do we, do we say it's, well, there's no ksuba really for her to collect from because there's no ksuba on the second husband, on her father? Or do we say no, just as we'd say, if there was no property to collect from, the wife's ksuba would be moved to her second husband. So to the daughter's right for sustenance is moved to the second husband. Let's read that inside. This girl born to the Yavoma, again, the mother, the husband, the brother died without children, so she fell in Yibum to his brother, and now she has a daughter from him. Does she get Mazonos or not? Do we say since the we taught that the Ksuba is collected from the first husband's estate? Well, she doesn't have any right to that. Or do we say since she if there's no ksuba, there's no estate to collect her ksuba from the first husband, Chazal instituted that she collects it from the second husband. This daughter does have a ksuba, and take her, we leave it unresolved. I, this question of this daughter, do we say that there's nowhere for her to collect this claim of being supported from her father's estate because her father doesn't have a ksuba to her mother because it's the Yavim? Or do we say no, just as in the case if the wife had nowhere to collect from her first husband, Chazal moved the responsibility of the ksuba to the second husband, so to the daughter's responsibility, and we leave it unresolved. Okay, I think let's leave it here for today. Again, have a very good uh, day, good chaydesh. Uh, yeah. Good day.